Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, we're going to do another show dealing with what the next, um, the rest of this actually, century is going to be like until the end of it. Uh, and I'm going to be using uh, some of the uh, information I have about uh, areas of the astral world and metal world to help, uh, we'll say, extrapolate what I think will be taking place here. And I did a show that dealt with some of the concepts about the next, uh, this coming rest of the century and beyond, but not so much about the actual technologies. And I said we'd use, uh, we'd save that for another time, so here's that other time, it's right now. And some of this for the uh, technology bus will probably be a really interesting show. And for the people who aren't that much in, into technology, it's still going to have a heavy uh, spiritual, metaphysical, God side to the whole thing, looking at it from the perspective of the following. Uh, civilization. What is civilization? Well, civilization is, to begin with, and most importantly, the extension of human beings human beings, bodies, and senses, in use of the lower kingdoms. That's the animal, vegetable, mineral mineral kingdoms. And it goes kind of in the opposite direction of what I just said, because we rely mostly on the mineral kingdom first, then the vegetable, and then the animal kingdom comes last among the kingdoms that we master in the use of technology. Now, it also should be uh, stated, I think fairly clearly, is that there's two ways to use technology. You can use technology to develop civilization that is brilliant and enlightened and uh, supports God and uh, the growth of God in everything, meaning enlightening things by a lot of people just will say nomenclature. And um, you can also go the opposite way you can actually use virtually the same technologies to become highly destructive to the lower kingdoms, below human, and eventually destroying the human kingdom and eventually the whole planet if it's used in a dark way or worse, evil way, which destroys the world relatively rapidly. Uh, Technology is the fastest way to make a change and in the direction of the planet, good or bad. So a lot of people say, well, what is the fastest way? Well, it's called the third ray way, which is part of the third ray is the expression of technology. And civilization in general is guided by the third ray, the development of it or lack thereof. Now, some some people say, well, we're just going to go back to the Stone Age. We'll, We'll destroy ourselves enough. Everybody will be living in, you know, uh, grass, mud huts or something, and not living much of a life. And that is actually not the likely outcome of what we're going to be talking about today. That would be a regressive, or we'll call it uh, uh, a complete reversal of technology and society. And the chances of that, even though uh, you can kind of construe it based upon a limited uh, event and a limited time-place issue, like a country or a a town or something, it's pretty hard for that to take place on a worldwide basis uh, for very long of a period of time. I mean, we could have a catastrophe that would put us back months or years, and and therefore we could live for short periods of time, 
as though we were living uh, 400, 500 years ago. But the chances of the rest of the, this century, which is, you know, we're talking a lot of years here, like 85 years or more, uh, that uh, going back and staying there is not high. And the reason for it is that in order for that to take place, you would have to not not only just destroy uh, a good portion of technology, but you'd have to destroy a good portion of humanity in general. Now, could we do that? Sure. There's the possibility of a pandemic that might wipe out 90% of human beings. And if you do that along with, combining with, uh, uh, the destruction of technology, which a pandemic would not do, most likely. But then you would have to also have, you know, maybe some kind of war, and you combine that with some kind of natural catastrophe, like a solar flare or something. I mean, you put them all together. That's how you would get to that particular scenario, but um, that's meaning a lot of calamities, virtually one on top of the other, almost all at the same time. And so I'm not going to go much into that because that kind of catastrophe um, has been covered by not necessarily me, but but we'll say the media and a lot of other uh, people looking into the what-ifs of the worst of possible events. But I think that uh, we don't have that as likely a chance of happening as what I'm going to talk about tonight. Now, I do want to say, that there's always the one out of maybe 200 or 250 chance or something that that kind of scenario, if you pile them up, could lead to the kind of total disaster that would lead to virtually the end of uh, life on Earth. And the remaining life would no longer include uh, human life. Is that, uh, is that possible? Well, it's still, like I said, way out there. But I'll leave it open, leave the door open, because I don't want to be quoted as saying, well, he said it's absolutely impossible. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I'm not doing tonight's show on it, that's all. All right, so let me talk about some of the things that are about to happen. Uh, We're going to change the ability to use uh, some parts of the, uh, we'll call it, organic chemistry elements that we are so familiar with, to eventually uh, develop the ability to create uh, body parts for ourselves that uh, will be uh, close, if not exact, replacements for what we use to presently uh, keep our physical bodies uh, alive. Those parts will be uh, at first, more uh, machine-like and mechanical than biological. That'll be a combination of both. And eventually, over uh, probably 10, 20 years, will become almost purely biological, which means that they will even be controlled by the mechanisms that our body presently uses to control our organs. In the beginning, these will not be controlled as much by our organs, and controlled by exterior uh, programming and because they'll still be machine-like. And we will be a hybrid for a while of these combinations. Now, when you hybrid a mechanical with a biological system, 
it degrades the biological components faster and reduces the efficiency of the overall operation because a biological system has built into it what we call the buildup of intelligent interaction with the entire system of the rest of our body. And this is taking place mostly in the electromagnetic part of our existence and not in the physical. So the electromagnetic part of us, which most people don't even know it is, and science doesn't understand it. Some people know it in science to exist, others don't. It doesn't really matter. In metaphysics, it's called etheric. In physics, it's called electromagnetic. But the electromagnetic part of living things runs at a different phase than most of the discovered phases of uh, normal um, non-biological electromagnetic fields. That causes us to not recognize or understand these electromagnetic fields. So there's been people in the past, like Wilhelm Reich, and, uh, you know, people who had the ability to understand it and, and work in it. Um, he came up with a thing he called orgone energy and was able to actually manufacture devices that would work with uh, these phases that were different from the ones we use today. And once you start changing the phase of electromagnetic energies, um, and phase is direction. So when we talk about phase, it just means another word for like the direction of the energy as it moves through time and space. Uh, most of the direction uh, as it moves through time and space of electromagnetic energy runs at a certain um, certain range of frequencies only at uh, a very minimal change in direction from one to the other because the non-biological components, uh, everything from X-rays to gamma rays, uh, those components are interconnected with each other by frequency and not by direction other than a common direction. So they can't interact together. Uh, if you change part of their direction, uh, they become non-interactive. So if you use them to try to discover the biological component of us uh, that is running in a different direction, you can't see it. Uh, literally, you can't. The, the devices we use today will not, uh, will not record the events. Some of those things that I'm talking about are auras, you've heard that, and chakras, and uh, the electromagnetic radiation around every living creature puts out this energy. Now, you can use Carillion photography and some other newer forms, which are even much more uh, effective in determining, because Carillion starts being distorted by the direction of the electromagnetic band because it's depending so much on mechanical operation so that you don't get the true, the real phase aspects. But at any rate, you do see something. You see, oh, there's an aura there. And you see a distinguishing difference from one thing to another and somewhat even dependent upon the consciousness as much as anything of me. Consciousness changes direction or phase of electromagnetic energy more than anything else. So that's the reason consciousness is a component of a biological electromagnetic energy. Now, some people are already scratching their head, is the rest of the show going to be about all this physics stuff? No, 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 I'm just throwing it out at the beginning. So 
The people who understand this can get it, and the people who don't can skip over it. And we'll get into really cool stuff today. Don't worry about it. It's not going to be as hard as what I'm talking about now. But, you know, I like to shine and show I know a little bit about physics. And so uh, give me give me a break. Come on. But, no, I'm not doing it for that reason, really. <laughs> but some people might say so, so that's okay. I don't mind. There are actually people that listen to the show that have very scientific minds, and they prefer to hear something like what I'm telling at the beginning of the show. It's okay. Give them their, give them their due. All right. So the the general issue here is if we're going to talk about how this, these inventions are going to take place, we're going to see a gradual shift from the mechanical and the electromagnetic band as we're familiar with to a new electromagnetic band that is almost entirely... The, at a different phase, which is the biological component coming on board. And as that comes on board, our bodies will respond to it and be able to control it directly rather than to have an intermediary uh, controller like a minor little tiny computer chip or something like that in between. That won't be necessary, but it may, um, over time, become an option. Some people may want that for some reasons, which I'm going to talk about. All right, so we're we're headed in this direction, and it's a pertinent direction because it will increase the lifespan of some human beings, and it will reduce some of the adverse effects of a selfish, which we all basically are, lifetime in which illness, which is really the cause of forces in the body developed by the, the thought of the person being against God, against light, producing illnesses. Um, that those things will uh, at least be mitigated by being able to, you know, do a, 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 a change the oil and change out the heart and change, no, change the oil, change out the blood, change out the heart, change out whatever we need to change out in a person's body, so that it, it does a, a better job at uh, keeping the person alive for a while. The problem with that kind of system is that those kinds of things will not last indefinitely. As a matter of fact, they won't last anywhere near as long as the original body because you still accumulate all the selfishness and forces in the center, which will wear out the new systems faster than they were originally worn out. So the first revamp of uh, organs might last 30 years, and the second revamp might last 10, and then the last revamp might last three. So that, And I don't know if you'll get any more. So as you revamp things, you lose the uh, overall lifespan. Um, in terms of those things you're changing about, even if you're using the correctly, and I mean correct in terms of phase, uh, biological phase, which will give us the most bang for our buck. Now, if you go to mechanical solutions, you'll probably never get past the first phase. Uh, Those you'll be lucky to probably get 10 years out of, and then they um, they will just fail, and a second one may not achieve the results you're looking for. So, because it'll fail even faster, and nobody will understand why, but it has to do with the amount of forces increasingly developed in the chakras. And you won't be able to replace the chakras. <laughs> you say, why not? That's the whole thing, isn't it? If you're into metaphysics, you know that. If you can replace the chakras, you've got a whole new body going on. Well, the problem with that is the chakras are not connected to really us, they're connected to our soul. And uh, a thing called the monad, which enlivens us with with its uh, will of thought and stuff. But if you don't have that connection, you can't transplant a new chakra. And if you try to do a new one, 
the new one won't respond to um, the uh, won't be able to respond to that thought, which is coming from such a high, high uh, place. And uh, not unless the, it comes from the other side. Now, some people say, "Well, why don't we just make a deal with the moment?" <laughs> hey, I'd like another thirty years, please. Can I get my ticket punched and be ready to go? Well, we don't need to do that because if you if your will matches their will and your will is to spiritually serve, you'll stay around as long as that's going to be a useful life in spiritual service. So you don't need anything other than that. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so going through that kind of rigmarole would not be of any advantage, and uh, we've already got the answer. And we can already do it, which is so cool because I think that that's really... Uh, uh, a, a more interesting and more, in my opinion, a more uh, more kind of eloquent eloquent solution to the whole uh, circumstance. But that's for another day. All right. So uh, this particular technology will bloom into all kinds of other areas of technology. Some of them good. Some of them that we may not like too much, because we're going to start using uh, as we replace body parts and organs, uh, we're also going to want enhancements. Hey, let me see, can't I, uh, how about giving me uh, the ability to see a little further or hear a little more or whatever. Because we're going to want to improve our senses, which we're already doing through mechanical devices, but we're going to start bridging that with biology. And that's going to get into some squirrely stuff. Now, some of it will be helpful. I mean, you know, you like to have a little... You know, instead of 2020, you might get down to 25 or something, you know. Where what normal people see at 20 feet, you know, at 5 feet, you'll see it uh, at 20 feet, you know. Uh, meaning that you have four times more acuity in your vision. But I, I'm just giving you an example. And you can do this with, with a little uh, micro uh, nodule that can be put into your body with nanolites or something, and and just, uh, it'll probably go to your ocular center of your brain and just plant there and uh, do some improvements. You know, that doesn't sound that terrible, but there's always a good and a bad side to everything we're going to be talking about. So, I, I, I don't know, I'm not going to get too much into the negative side right now because we're still covering the sciences. So, ultimately, it's going to be uh, done in a way in which some people, as an elective, will decide to do this. Now, you should be aware that we're also in, uh, getting into another part of this biology of genetics. And uh, although genetics will come a little bit later than some of these uh, first technologies, genetics is the ultimate end of some people's minds because why not uh, grow these things in us? Why not change our genes in us? Since genes are uh, continually uh, telling our body to age at a certain rate, we think, it's not entirely true, but some people are going to want to have that turned off. (laughs) Turn off that aging gene. I don't want it. But they're going to discover, and this is good, they will discover that there's something else controlling aging, and that's going to be our thought and our interactions with others. In other words, this will bridge closer to to the metaphysical side of things, and quantum field theory will start becoming more and more applicable, and suddenly you're going to start finding that metaphysics and physics are blended together. And as that becomes more a factor over the next 20 or 30 years, then 
these inventions are going to be modified. But in the beginning, there will be a, a, a like an emphasis on trying to genetically purify and solve all the problems that people have. Some of the things that we have are genetically uh, help. It's, it's possible to help them over the short term. You can't basically make a person live forever, and you can't prevent all diseases eventually because a lot of them come from just really high forces created by the selfishness of people, and there's no genetic system that will solve that. But you can make people's genes work better, and you can even interfere or change the genetic structure of something before it's even born. So you can do all of these things if you want to try it. Some of them will be tried, and some of them will be considered in short order and in the short term successful, and then there will be discoveries that they aren't not only successful sometimes, they may be actually a hindrance in over time because they try to deal with something from the wrong side of the fence that can only be dealt with in terms of how a person thinks and, and interacts, not based upon how their genes are. But for right now, that's the fantasy, and some of it will come true. Uh, there will be short-term solutions for some diseases, particularly genetic diseases, by the way. Uh, and uh, there will be moderate-term, not long-term, but moderate-term uh, cures for things like most cancers. But realize this. You can, it's like delaying the ultimate, the, the almost certainty of reality, which is that you can keep yourself alive longer, but you can't keep yourself alive forever in the physical body. physical body needs to have time, as I've said many times, to uh, recover in the energies itself uh, the spirit of its own kingdom and not of ours. We can borrow uh, things from the mineral and plant and animal kingdoms, but we cannot keep them indefinitely. And those things are energies at the very foundation of what makes them form. All form comes from energies. And so those energies have their own life and their own kind of way of, let's say, development. That development is contrary to ours uh, after a certain period of time. And that time is, by the way, about 147 years of maximum time. So we can't live beyond that without causing harm to these energies development. Now, some people could live longer, but then they have the karma of hurting the energy. And they can't live much longer. They might make it to 200 or something. But it's going to be a really nasty death when they have it, and it will adversely affect them in their next incarnation physically. So it's not a, it, it's not a good trade-off by any stretch. And there's a lot of harm that comes from it. I'm sure there'll be folks trying that, though, because that's the way humans are. All right, so uh, let's go on with some of these changes in technology. I think this is really, uh, I find this a fascinating subject, but uh, hopefully the rest of you will, too. Uh, another area that we're going to be uh, attempting to uh, change will be uh, the uh, ability for, uh, at first, strictly mechanical devices to replace the uh, tedious uh, jobs and or dangerous jobs that humans do. And the tedious and and or dangerous jobs are uh, going to eventually fall apart. 
they'll be very mechanical, and we'll have to deal with them through mechanical devices. But uh, within a short time, we'll be able to combine the implanting and all the other stuff I talked about uh, to have direct communication with both computers and robots. They're already doing some of this. It's not, not no big deal, but it's going to get to a very technically advanced level. And uh, you can talk to the robot, but you may be able to think to the robot if you want to. And the robot will carry out the wishes of a person within certain pre-programmed parameters. And uh, it will take over duties that it has been designed to do, uh, some that are true, true capabilities of humans and others that are really less capable than a human might be, but significantly capable enough to take, about, take on some dangerous tasks and or some uh, tedious ones that we don't like to do. So, you know, if you love cooking, that's great, but if you don't want to just make a meal, maybe the robot will make you up a sandwich. You know? And uh, maybe if um, you, you consider it a bit uh, dangerous, you know, uh, climbing up on a ladder and changing this light bulb or that thing, or do something like that, the robot can do that for you too. And the robots will, over time, become exactly, as I said about the uh, our own human body, will become biologically uh, uh, correct, uh, uh, we'll say improved upon, to uh, work off of biological systems. Now we're getting in from robots, we're getting into a whole other that's, that's, And that, that is going to happen. And it's going to happen in this century. Now, some people say, oh, no, they'll ban those. You're really not going to ban them because people don't want them. And why is that better? Well, a biologically componented, uh, we'll call it artificial life form, because now it's getting almost into being alive, right? Parts of it are alive. Uh, is uh, much, uh, much more capable of doing, replicating some of the activities of human beings. And uh, maybe you want to play tennis with your quote-unquote artificial life form, and uh, maybe you want to just um, have uh, some other kind of interaction that is not necessarily harmful for either, but it is uh, far beyond mechanical uh, uh, robot to do. And we will reach for that uh, effect because, our again, civilization is taking our senses and expanding them out. Now, a lot of people would say, well, it's not exactly our senses when you've got something that's sensing like we are sensing and interacting like we're interacting, and it's an artificial life form. Well, so to speak. Now, the definition of life is really going to become important here. Uh, life, to me, has to do with the ability for the life itself to be creative in, on its own and, and to make its own choices and to carry those choices out in some interactive form. It, that's, to me, a life. Now, when uh, a quote-unquote artificial life can do that, then it really is a life. And we will cross that barrier, possibly. That means that life form will have to have a soul. Now, uh, does that is that possible? Can human beings make a device that has to be in, that can be installed? And the answer is sort of. Uh, we have to become so virtuous and so conscious to do that that the good news is uh, at least they won't be evil forms. 
But the bad news is that uh, not probably in this century. Okay? So uh, I'm not going to go into that possibly because I don't see it's likely to be before the end of the 21st century. And But could it happen in the 22nd or 23rd? Sure. Yeah. If, if we continue to enlighten ourselves again, and if we don't, let's say we go down a darker path, which we'll talk later in the show about, no. There's a good reason for it. Those creatures that we create will be soulless, and we won't be able to insult them, which will leave them open to being controlled by the group soul of evil, and they'll turn on us, and you'll have the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And so that's that's the problem we're going to be facing, is if we if we go down that direction, we'll probably end our existence. And that's one of the dangers you run. Civilization can be turned around into a harmful thing. And so we will discuss that uh, coming up. <laughs> All right, but for right now, I don't see it happening on the positive side in the century. Could it be, now let's go to the 22nd century. Well, 22nd century, I get a 50-50 chance. 23rd, I'd say almost 100% probability. Now, if we're still here, <laughs> and we haven't gone down the dark path and destroyed ourselves with all those technologies that I'm talking about, especially. All right, so think about that. So I'm giving you a time frame, and that means the next couple hundred years we either get our act together or the act turns into the final act of humanity on Earth, I think, with the rate of technology growth that seems to be coming and has already happened. Technology is not good or bad. It's up to what we do with it. That determines the outcome. Okay, so what uh, what else is? <laughs> it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I think this is fun. But anyway, okay. So uh, eventually, we're going to have um, interactive artificial life forms that will resemble human beings, and may even, uh, in many respects, be like a human being. So we need to be prepared for this eventuality if we're going to grow in light and like I said before you'll reach the really advanced levels of this if you're dark if we're dark we won't it'll destroy us or it'll destroy at least enough of us so we won't continue doing that sort of thing alright so let me continue on uh, the the next area that I think in some of these areas I'm only lightly touching on because we're going to go into them in other aspects uh, as we go through the show. But I just, this again is the, the uh, 40 minutes of giving them the idea of what, what the show's about and going through some of the concepts. Okay. Where are some of the other areas that we're going to find that um, in technology, we'll say, is going to be greatly improved? Well, in, in terms of life forms outside human life forms, uh, we're going to greatly expand the repertoire of uh, life, both in the vegetable uh, plant and uh, in the animal kingdoms, because we um, will find that it is advantageous for us to do so for food purposes and for um, the balance of the planet in terms of all of the things that we believe and find are good about our Earth. 
become a demanding area of technology. It will be promoted by uh, people mostly who want to do good, and the majority of it will probably end up doing good. Some of it will include the following, which may surprise people. Uh, first of all, animals right now are the most misused of all life, and uh, it's likely that um, sometime before the end of the 21st century, the majority of people will not be eating real life, well, they'll be dead, of course, but animals. Now, you might say to yourself, well, that's ridiculous because the majority of people by any stretch of the imagination do today, do that. They eat everything from insects to, to cows to, you know, just about anything they can get their their hands on from the oceans or whatever. Now, why would they want to change that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it, but the basic reason is going to be that some of the animals we eat are really not that great for us. Some of them are pretty badly contaminated, especially the ones from some of the oceans we're fishing in. But also, there's there's even a bigger factor, and that is that um, the the cost of uh, feeding ourselves with animals is going to become so high that uh, not very many people will actually be able to afford to do it. <laughs> And that has to do with our use of energy, which we're going to get into, but also with other factors. And so uh, we're not going. It's going. To, it takes a lot of energy to grow animals, but but in space and other things. But we're going to find that uh, it, it's just not. It's not a good economic uh, thing to do. And we will be able to create food that. Uh, incredibly, uh, maybe scary, resembles most of the food that we eat from living things. But this will that this will be synthesized, and it will not. And I'm not talking about you know a Morning Star Farm kind of food. Although there's something wrong with that, and I eat it myself. But I'm talking about something that's way beyond that. That's uh, that's so close to what people would call animal-like uh, food that some vegetarians today might be disgusted by it because it's too real. You know. But regardless of that issue, that's where we're headed, and we're not very far from that. We're only about 10 to 15 years from that point. So that's uh, that's kind of an interesting thing, and it, it's going to dovetail with the sheer cost of what it takes to create food and the cost, and part of that cost is just transportation, refrigeration. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a tremendous amount, a tremendous number of of costs that have to be put one on top of the other. That society has become more and more, we'll say, expensive in doing for reasons of regulation and diseases and. and um, uh, uh, just the insulting uh, ideas of certain kinds of uh, animals for food. I mean, most people don't like the idea of eating things that are pretty conscious, like dogs and dolphins, which come from the same source, that same biological history. And they, they, they think these are these are animals that shouldn't be because of their consciousness. Uh, but also we, we, we have uh, the overall energy bottom. And if you look at the total amount of energy required, uh, and almost every animal source, even fishing, people say, whoa, whoa, fish in the sea are free, aren't they? Yeah. If I 
boat and get them and bring them back, they are far from free. And what's the cost of a fish compared to the cost of a chicken? Well, chickens are smarter than fish by by far, but actually they're a lot cheaper. So ultimately, all of this is coming to bear on us. And uh, there's going to be a push uh, just starting probably in the next year or two to develop synthesized foods at a very high uh, quality rate. Quality being by people's choice, not by uh, necessarily nutritional value, but it will have that as well. And it won't all be made out of soy products. Most of this is going to come out of things that are not food themselves. Uh, so you're not going to just take a plant and convert it into an animal-like looking thing and then eat that. Uh, we're going into a new way, a new a new wave of creation that's going to be more at the down to the lower biologics, where, uh, biochemistry and uh, organic uh, chemistry that will create food that in a cellular-like way will resemble the foods that we prefer to eat, or some people prefer to eat. I'm not saying that everybody's going to love these foods, but actually the meat eaters will probably go crazy on it. It'll be the cheapest filet mignon that you ever ate, and everybody will say it's the best stuff ever tasted, cooked better, and it's going to have way better numbers in terms of lower fat. It won't have as much carcinogens when you cook it on a grill. It's going to do all kinds of things that right now people are a little concerned about. You know, it's going to have you know, trans fats, not going to have any high cholesterol content. I mean, people are going to say, wow, this tastes great, it's cheap, and it's good for me. What else is, what life is wonderful. And this is coming. This is really coming. And the people that do this first are going to become gazillionaires. Gazillionaires. And it's not hard to do, which is the scary part about it. You have to wonder, why aren't they doing it? Well, because up to this point, the cost of food has been relatively cheap. But that is changing. Okay. So, um, hey, it's time to go. It's already time to go to a break. I can't believe that. I'm having such a good time with this. I don't know, but there must be something strange about my, my doing this show tonight because I, I love talking about this sort of stuff. I think it's fun. Okay. Uh, we're going to come back. Uh, in about two and a half minutes from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower, M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. 
Hi everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles Flower. Tonight we're talking about uh, changes in technology for the rest of the 21st century, and I'm having a lot of fun with this show. Uh, interestingly enough, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like a hodgepodge of all the different things that are probably going to change. And um, by the end of the show, I'll talk about some of the negative effects, positive effects, where they actually are happening today in parts of the astral and mental worlds, and not everything that happens in those worlds will necessarily take place in the physical, but most of them will. So it's interesting to see that, but they have to take place differently here because the physics is different. So you change the physics, you've got to change the way you're going to do things. Yep. Okay. So when we stopped, I was talking about food. <laughs> and, uh, everybody wants to go get a hamburger now. And but the hamburger you're going to be getting in a few years, maybe even over at uh, Burger King or McDonald's or wherever it's going to be, Carl's Jr. or whatever those places are, uh, they're going to start selling uh, synthesized uh, meat. <laughs> I don't want to get grossed out too many people. But that's going to happen, and it's going to happen for economic reasons more than anything else. Now, economics and supply, because the two go hand in hand, supply and demand, versus the cost is directly connected, unless you're truly a communist. And even then, you can't control it very long, uh, unless you print a lot of money, which we do do, but that's not going to change it eventually. So ultimately, uh, it's coming. Now, uh, is the technology there now? Almost. There's just a couple of small things that have to be dealt with. But believe it or not, we're really, really close. Now, what will the cost of food be? Well, about a tenth, somewhere in that range, of what it is today on a wholesale level. I don't know if that's going to convert to a tenth on the retail level. You know, there's a lot in between, and people are used to paying so much money. But I think given enough time 
food costs could come down to um, about at least a fifth of what they cost today. Well, that's going to change a lot of things, if you think about it. The most important part of this equation is not about actually how much food costs, but it's how much the value of what the food is doing in a person's life is. And if the cost is part of what a person's eating, and it is to some extent, then it gives people more options to eat more healthy in the future for uh, very little money. And that's really probably the bigger issue because health will improve to some extent. But there's more to it than that. You see, when you eat animals, and not everybody's eating animals, but if you do eat animals, you're eating some of the spirits in the animals constantly. And it has an effect on people. Now, does that mean you become like a fish if you eat fish? Not exactly, but... Uh, you lower some of your consciousness because some of the spirit that was in that fish uh, has some effect on the person consuming it. It's even more true the more conscious the animal is. So the worst thing to eat are the most conscious of animals. The bad news, well, the good news is the cows are not very conscious, so I guess the cow-eating people probably are okay in their consciousness. But the chicken-eating people are not. Because chickens are very conscious uh, animals, and that's unfortunate for us because we do terrible things to chickens when we raise them in, in mass quantities. And we're harming them. Their life is, uh, we're treating them as literally a thing. And it's a very bad thing for us to do because the consciousness is very distorted and hurt, and the spirit within them is very, very harmful to us. So eating chickens of that kind which are all over the place, by the way, um, is this very serious problem. I think about it, that eating eggs is not so bad, uh, although if they come from chickens that are tortured, as they generally are, that's bad. So eat eggs from chickens that are free-range, roving, whatever they call them, and you're better off. But this is the, this is the reason that synthesized food is so much a better idea. Because you don't get into this equation, which is quite negative. Now, what about the folks eating plants? You know, I, I'm pretty much into that ball game. And so the folks eating mostly plants, yet what you have going on there is that the plants are fine. They're, they're, they're made to be eaten. That's, they grow to be eaten. <laughs> so, you know, they don't mind it. But here's the problem there. We don't grow plants so that the divinic energies that are dealing with the group souls of the plants are treated right. And those energies are extremely important to how healthy the plant is and the nutrient value of the plant. When you start interfering with that operation by putting the plants too close together, by artificially, um, chemically altering them, and uh, gene modifications as well that may lead them into areas where they, that it affects the divinic uh, energies, uh, then the process becomes uh, equally as harmful because the divinic energies enlighten the food, and if the plant food is not enlightened, it, it's going to be missing uh, a thing that deals uh, from, from the energy side, the chi, and it, in terms of uh, how the sun energy is absorbed in the plant, which is called the prana, it also gets distorted because the divinic energies aren't working right, and we have imbalances between the chi and the prana with missing prana and or missing chi in most of the plant 
our taste buds are our best answer for that. If the food doesn't taste really great, and a lot of vegetable foods and, and fruits, et cetera, don't these days, that tells you that there is missing gene and prana, and that's not going to help you to stay alive. It will hurt you. It'll be missing other things that we call like vitamins and that sort of stuff. But the most important thing are these hidden energies, uh, and they go completely missing uh, when, or, or badly missing, when uh, you pretty much eliminate the divine uh, connection. And then the plants don't grow well, and we have to artificially help them to grow and even stay alive because they become so victimized by the outside elements. The other thing that happens is insects that feed on the plants are extremely harmed by the voice and prana and chi. And some of the insects that are most harmed are bees, but there's some others too. And then when they feed on our crops that are uh, changed in these, modified ways that we do, uh, then they get sick from diseases, and internally they just get weaker, and they die off. But if you don't have insects to pollinate, like bees, then the plants stop surviving as well. And now they're talking about making mechanicalized uh, uh, pollinizers, little micro-nano-sized bees that run around (laughs) pollinating. Uh, it's not a bad idea, except it doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> I mean, you may pollinate those suckers and still be able to grow some plants, but the plants have such low nutritional value, we're still stuck. So does it help to synthesize those foods? Yeah. Now, would it help better to uh, eat foods that are naturally high in chia prana? Oh, yeah. So the synthesized foods are going to be very difficult in the vegetable side of the equation, and, and, and that includes fruits, to um, to get sufficient values of prana and chi. It's only when that part of the equation is fully understood that it will be solved. And it will require a lot of metaphysics to solve that problem. That's going to take more than 10, 15 years. That could take till past the middle of this century, uh, when more people become aware of what prana and chi do, and when they probably read things that I've written and other folks, and listen to some of these shows, maybe, they'll say, let's listen to those guy, guy that was on the radio 35 years ago, and listen to what he was saying, and uh, maybe then they'll say, oh, so that's what's wrong with that synthesized food, it's uh, the vegetable part of it, because there's not enough chi and prana. Now, the same is true about synthesizing beets, you've got to make sure that the meat has uh, the correct balance of gene and prana in it, and you're you're going to be driving out any animal spirit. You won't be eating animal spirit, but you'll be replacing it, believe it or not, this is so, so weird, with some of our own consciousness in the way we create the food. That's a little weird. But we will still have to uh, try to enliven that food as well, with proper amounts of chi and prana, because we need those sources of energy for us to stay alive. We can't stay alive without them. Our spleen stores uh, prana, and uh, we'll just, after months of time of being a low pranic food, you just, you will die. So uh, this is a serious uh, issue, and it will be part of the equation eventually. The original synthesized foods will probably last. 
relax some of those things, and people might start getting sick from them. But eventually, they'll figure out the solution. And that's when they discover the part that I was talking about at the beginning of the show of uh, energies that are electromagnetic, but at a different phase from what we today think of as uh, electromagnetic energy. See, it's all about physics, really. Uh, even the biology of this world is not going to be solved until we get to the right physics of this world. So we have to include that or there's going to be some serious problems uh, at hand. And we will figure it out. The good news is we're headed in a direction where these kind of, uh, technologies will start merging. And as they merge together, uh, one will spawn uh, problems that they other sites will have to try to solve, and uh, each will hopefully support the other. It's going to require better communication when people working in the sciences that we presently have cross field. We've got to go back to a time earlier, much earlier time, when people had, instead of such specialization, a more universal approach to having consciousness and looking at all elements of science and metaphysics and philosophy together, rather than trying to, you know, oh, I'm a specialist only in this little area, because it won't work. Those areas will start failing, and people will say, wow, they worked before when it was all mechanical, but now you start getting into this life business, and everything's going to change. So I look forward to these complications and problems to reveal people's wisdom, and to reveal the truth. So I'm not looking at technology as the boogeyman. I'm looking at uh, the kingdom <laughs> to ageless wisdom and helping people to eventually find the truth by seeing new problems that they didn't realize would happen when they make the changes that I'm discussing in tonight's show. All right, so let's move move on. I, I kind of I'm picking and choosing different places to go to because there's so much to talk about. This is always fun. And... Um, Another area that's a very big deal, and we talked about it, I'm sort of connecting the dots, is there's going to be insufficient energy. Now, why is there insufficient energy? Mostly because we are using the spoils of prior organic processes in most of the energy that is produced. It starts with coal, and it moves all the way into natural gas and in between, we've got all kinds of other energies. There's a few that are renewable, such as alcohols, etc., but they're very, you know, difficult to uh, make economically feasible. And uh, you need to have a lot of area to grow stuff and not very big populations around them to make it work. I mean, if you're Brazil, it probably makes sense, but if you're in the United States, it sure doesn't. So it's a, those are all interesting possibilities, but not very likely to solve any problems. But the, and, and the amount of natural gas we have is huge. The amount of oil we have is also huge. And the amount of coal is equally huge. So we've got a lot of those energies that we are using. The problem is that they also cause pollution. They uh, do, over time, not right now, warm up the planet eventually everywhere. Right now, because of the Coriolis effect, they're only really warming up the poles. But eventually, when all the ice melts, nobody's going to like that either. So uh, they have, uh, you know, the bottoms of the oceans are getting warmer. And if 
eventually methane will start coming off the bottom of the ocean, and around the poles, and the methane is going to cause a runaway effect. Methane is like 26 times worse than carbon dioxide in terms of creating global warming. So we're going to have some problems. But that isn't really the issue for the, this part of the century. Probably the second half, that could be a really serious part. But it, the, the most difficult part of the equation is that no matter what way we, we turn turn the dial on this question of fuels, it always comes out to a consumption with no uh, replenishment. And consumption without replenishment means that the cost of energy keeps going up. Not always every day. Some days it may go down. But over time, it always goes up. Because there aren't any dinosaurs dying, dying these days that are miles below the surface of the Earth and and, there are, there, and anything else. And, um, and I'm talking about the seas as well, so that will be miles below the top of the seas, so where you get down to the bottom of the seas. And so all of this uh, available resource is not going to be made again in the near future. So we've got to look at it from the standpoint that if we can live with the increasing cost of energy, we've got enough energy to make it about two or three hundred years based upon population growth and other things uh, to deal and live at the level, standard of living uh, and technology level that we're going to see in the next few decades. That's where we're at. Now, is that okay? Well, maybe. Uh, I, I, you know, this is this is a question of choice, and uh, you know, I think you know a lot of people would say, well, we really don't have a choice. We should do what we can to live as good as we can right now, and our technologies will eventually bridge the gap. Well, I got good news and bad news about that. The good news is there is a technology coming very soon uh, to a uh, Chinese province near you. And this technology I've talked about before, it's, uh, it's HE3. Uh, unfortunately, it's being played down in the West, particularly in the United States, because we're falling so far behind about it. We, we just, you know, our government went, we fall behind, they just lie about it. It's just very, very uh, sinister thing to do, but that's how they handle it. And so what they're lying about is they're saying, oh, well, that technology is so far off in the future, there isn't more than a pound of HE3 in the whole world. That's true. Uh, and even if you had it, uh, nobody's ever made a reactor to make it work properly. Well, that's true, too, because you need about 20 pounds of it to even build a reactor to work, that way you could make it work. So that, because you have to experiment, you wouldn't be able to, you know, you don't have enough to do that. Uh, okay. And then uh, on top of that, well, the only HE3 that we think exists is up on the moon. And, we're not going there. That's true, too. The United States is not going there for sure. We can't even get up to our space station. We have to beg Russia to take us, and right now we're threatening Russia about some things, so I don't know how long they're going to be taking us. If I was an astronaut for the United States living on that station, I'd be asking to go home right now. But at any rate, so that's, that's where we're at with that, but the problem is we're not the only people in the world. You see, the Chinese, 
they're putting about half of their economic wealth that they have left over if they stay alive, of course, and doing things to do, into their quote-unquote space program. Did you know that? Yep, that's what they're doing. Some of it, they're also converting into technologies for solar collectors and a bunch of stuff, which we're not using here. Why would we buy their stuff, which is a tenth of the price? But anyway, and, and some other things, but mostly in researching how to get to the moon and colonize the moon. What did they want to do up there, for heaven's sake? Well, what they want to do is they want to mine. But mining is different on the moon than what we think of mining. Uh, they want to mine HE3. Well, where is the HE3? It's about six inches to a foot above the surface of the soil, going down to about four feet. That's where it is. Well, you might say, well, that's not really mining. That's kind of like taking a shovel. And... <laughs> that's right. That's what it is. That's all you got to do. And you collect the HE3 through a, a several-stage process, in the meantime, you're getting some titanium dioxide out of it. Get some titanium out of it uh, because the HE3 is actually locked in a lot of titanium on the surface and certain other elements which might be useful. But the most important thing is, guess how much HE3 is now, in today's world, projected to be on the moon? Somewhere between 1 and 2 million tons. That's 2,000 pound tons of HE3. Wow. That's a lot more than one pound. And the thing about HE3, it's only about 50% max efficient uh, in creating fusion energy. It's not the most efficient. And on the lowest end, it could be only 5%. But 5% of fusion is like having a 20 coal mines in your backyard. I mean, it's ridiculous how much energy we're really talking about. It's a huge amount. So although you might say, well, it's not going to be the most efficient fusion fuel, right now we've got nothing. We can't make fusion work. That's right. You can, we can make fusion. We just can't make it work. It takes more energy to create than you get out of it. So what good is that? But if you're 5% efficient in it, it's still a lot of energy. And if you're 15%, oh, huge. Uh, literally, literally, uh, a ton of this stuff. Remember, there's a millions of tons, at least a million tons, probably two, maybe three. Um, a, a ton of this stuff would run everything in the world, everything, for a year. It's about give or take 15 to 20 terawatts. Everything. Gives you pause. Gives you a lot of pause. All right, what are we going to do about that? Well, nothing. Uh, Obama's happier than, a, than a, you know, he says that's terrific. We're going to share the wealth. Really? Well, as long as you don't mind learning Chinese very quick and maybe uh, living under a communist system, everything's cool. Because as soon as I get to the moon, within a year or two, the Chinese are going to become the wealthiest country, not in the world of today, 
the wealthiest country of all countries of all time, all put together, of any time, collectively. And they'll be a hundred times more wealthy than that. It's beyond our imagination. Because if you have that level of energy, we're talking about, we're talking about millions of terawatts of power. With that kind of energy, almost everything becomes almost worth nothing because you can convert almost everything based upon power and energy. The problem with power is when it's the sole determinator of control, it's very, very susceptible to becoming evil. Extremely. Because the evil uses power as its replacement for consciousness. And it uses its power for sometimes not to have to create as much. And if you give it infinite power, you're you're basically finished. So it could be the beginning of the end of the world. And how fast could this happen? Well, they're going to get there in a couple of years. That's right, two years, maybe, three. And they'll have this whole operation running in four or five. Well, that's around 2019. That's not much time. That's, and we can't even get up to our own space station. Now, here's the other thing to understand. With that much energy, and with the fact that HE3 is a type of um, substance that allows people, because it weighs almost nothing, it, it, it allows people to be able to build very, very small kinds of reactors. The amount of um, radioactive waste coming from it is extremely small in quantity and could be easily isolated in a little lead container put onto the reactor uh, the size of a baseball. And then you can reuse that stuff for all kinds of things, too. Not necessarily as a, as a fuel to generate other kinds of nuclear energy, but you could do that. But you also could Make nuclear bombs. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. Well, we can do that for sure. Uh, you know, I, you can do a lot of stuff. Some of it good, some of it bad. But even that's irrelevant. I mean, if you can, in the size of a shoebox, you can have enough energy to fly uh, a, a couple of uh, different, uh, you know, 787s, which I think is the newest of them. 80 of the 7 series, you could have a whole fleet of them possibly running on that. Uh, you could have maybe all of a country's ships running off of it. Not just one ship. But if you wanted to have one ship, you could. I mean, because, and, and that's how powerful we're talking about. That's how the kind of energy levels we're discussing. Yeah, uh, a shoebox could probably produce uh, several gigawatts of power. A bigger box, <laughs> let's put it on, you know, let's say you get a really big box, uh, you know, like a three-by-three three box or something, you know, like a big box. Uh, that kind of box could probably develop a terawatt of power. 
like one fifteenth to one twentieth of all the energy the world uses. All the energy, all the ships, all the airplanes. Now, let's say you want to make your rocket ships run on this stuff. Now, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. You can use like, all kinds of different ionizing methods and all kinds of different plasma methods. You can produce all kinds of different kinds of engines because the power is there. And with that kind of power, you can start talking about traveling at quarter, half speeds of light. Oh, that's really fast. I mean, it's beyond our imagination. And even with the increase in mass caused by such speeds, you could even get up to those, something in that order. That's about as fast as you can really go because the mass starts increasing exponentially as you go faster. So all those terawatts are converted into mass and you can't go any faster. But, but we could do other things as <laughs> well. There are other ways. But certainly as far as our own solar system is concerned, by the end of the 21st century, we could have spaceships that can go back and forth to Neptune. Oh, um, in a day or two. Now that's it's really possible. That may be like, like the tenth of the speed of light. But the the issue here, or even a hundredth of the speed of light, is still very very fast. And so you, you're moving incredibly fast. And this kind of potential means that things that we presently don't even consider, which we're going to talk about in today's show, are coming within this century, such as exploration of outer planets by human beings and by robots, or whatever we want to call them, biological life forms that are created artificially. And uh, we may also uh, go mining out there. Because who knows? The Jupiter has way more AT3 than we do. So, I mean, the, the, the other thing to consider here is everything we think of, of our ethnocentricity about Earth, starts falling apart. Earth is no longer the end-all of where life is. And we can create artificial worlds. We can create the moon itself. Well, it's nice living on the moon, but why not put an atmosphere there? It's not so hard to do. You've got HE3. Because you, with that much energy, you can create spaceships and you can create ways of moving uh, other masses and things uh, in and around the moon uh, to give it an atmosphere if you think it'd be helpful. And it might very well be. I mean, not so bad to have an atmosphere. You wouldn't have to worry about those meteors coming in and crashing on you. They, most of them would burn up. You can even bring water onto the moon and add some mass to the moon at the same time. It would start affecting our tidal currents and other things. We'd have to be careful about that. You could move the moon further away if that starts happening by ten or 20,000 miles. We can start doing terraforming. And I predict we will once we become an HE3 society or something like it. Because there's other options between H besides HE3, but it just so happens that it's locally available. Hey, 250,000 miles is nothing. Once you have HE3, going back and forth to the moon, it's like, it's like 
It's like a drive to the food store. <laughs> hey, 15, 20 minutes to the moon and back. Or just to the moon one, one, one direction. But, I mean, that's like nothing. And we could do it. We can really do it. So, now we've got to really rethink this whole thing. Because energy becomes like the whole... That's the, the foundation of technology is energy. It really is. It's the third ray part in its expression and form is energy. And it's what happens when you take intelligence actively and make it less than fully intelligent. It becomes energy. And it's everywhere. It, it is what makes this world what it is. Because we live in the most dense form world we have with the greatest amount of energy. And if, if you've got this kind of availability of energy. Even though, remember, I'm saying it's no more than 15% probably. We're, we're probably not going to get much more than that. Some people say it might get to 20. But, you know, that's just a stepping stone. You might be able to create nuclear reactors using fusion. They got to a 90 or 100%. It's entirely possible. Not just with H 3 but just you could be part of the whole system. And I don't know if we're going to need that, by the way. But... And just so you understand, this is the beginning, not the end of where we're moving in energy. So what what also happens? A lot of natural things that we're using, plastics that come from uh, coal and oil and some natural gas, those things will become much less expensive because if everything that we're doing in energy comes from HE3, then all the other resources on Earth lose they're, uh, well, they, they lower, I should say, they're in cost because their rate of use is so much less. I mean, plastic might become the cheapest thing in the world because it would be so easy to make it with so little of the cost going into the material. And the other side of plastics or any metals that we, we find use is energy, and that will be free almost. So cost of living, we're talking about cost of living dropping so low provided you have HE3, but of course, China will decide what the cost of HE3 is going to be because they're going to control it. Well, to their friends, it might be very inexpensive. Russia's one of their closest friends. But the United States, they don't like it so much. Matter of fact, they... And for us, it would be very, 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 very expensive to get a little HE3. It's certainly nothing we could ever use in any military way. But they. Oh, my. All right, so, you see, this is coming faster than we might really want. It has tremendous value in terms of lowering the cost of living and raising the standard of living for those that can enjoy it. But it also has with it some terrifying implications because of who is going where to get it. And there's nothing standing that I'm aware of in their way. All right, so we've got, and, and the role of evil here, uh, I'm going to start talking a little bit about evil, but not, not the whole show. But the role of evil here is to get the world in general, to be controlled by the darkest countries, um, which our president is helping along as best as he possibly can, and uh, at the same time, to 
try to get the world to be responsive to what is known as the power, con- the consciousness of power, rather than consciousness itself. And once that takes place, society becomes reactive, almost like a knee-jerk reactive, uh, to those who have the most power. We're not quite there yet because it's been hidden uh, underneath a bunch of other things so that uh, evil has been keeping it hidden and somewhat uh, consciousness has been fighting against it. But if this comes about, as I'm suggesting, it's going to. My concern that uh, that equation is going to go completely south. And we're going to end up with a true power-regulated world with people like China, Red China, and uh, especially places like North Korea, which will be reabsorbed by or absorbed by China in the next five or so years. And um, then they'll take over South Korea. And the people we call our allies won't even exist anymore. Japan will be hop, skip, and a jump from the islands that China's going to take over in the next year or two. So we're moving in a very, very wrong way towards very bad outcomes. And that's frightening to me. So AT3, while I really love the positive, the thing that is most scary about anything to me is AT3. I would prefer not to see it at all on Earth for another century. And it's coming to a neighborhood not too far from us. All right, so uh, in some of those neighborhoods will be in South America, Cuba, places that are very close by. All right, so what can we do? Where Where's the answers for some of these things? Well, we'll get to that in about 40 minutes. But it's not, it's not a good... It's not a good situation. I'm going to take a real quick spray of my throat here so I can keep talking. Ah. Helps the vocal cords get going. Yeah. Okay. So, the the next thing that I think would be interesting to talk about, (laughs) everybody's still, they're holding their breath like I'm going to come up with, well, we can just push this button and it'll solve the problem. I don't have the button yet. All right. How how is the next uh, phase, we'll say, of uh, your life on Earth going to be changed by technology? And some of it's going to be in the transportation mode. Since we have HE3 coming into the equation, things like if you saw Back to the Future, the idea of flying cars, you know, flying anything, uh, which is a high energy requirement, requires fusion. Well, interestingly, the device they used in Back to the Future is called Mr. Fusion. <laughs> Literally right on the car, you know. Uh, and so you could virtually conclude that there will be uh, many forms of transportation that will use HE3 uh, and fusion, uh, we'll say, driven vehicles to fly. Some of them will... Uh, use the HE3 not just to propel the vehicle, but possibly to also make it buoyant, because HE3 is very light. 
it's lighter than normal helium, and it's about very close to hydrogen in its lightness, which gives it a, an advantage, and it's also inert. It doesn't, it's not like hydrogen or anything old boom or anything like that. Everybody says, well, you can't use HE3 because things will explode. No, no, HE3 doesn't explode when you put a light, light a match. It explodes when you use a, a laser with a, a super magnet connected... <laughs> no, this is literally true. Uh, connected with with a plasma generation device that's getting up to, like, 15,000. You start off with plasma, and then you take the plasma, and you, you can you contract it with a magnetic field, and then you laser it, and that will ignite the HE3. It'll get over 100,000 degrees temperature in a few fractions of a second, and uh, you'll get the reaction. Now, you're going to say, oh, you shouldn't be saying that. Those Chinese are writing it down. No, no, they already know it. Believe me, they know it. I wish they didn't, but they do. (laughs) In some ways, I'm getting it from them. I'm not going to tell you how. But okay, so it's weird that we actually have the technology to do this stuff. We just need a little bit more of it, and there's lots more to come. All right, so we're going to have that available, and literally, for the first time, lighter than airships, instead of being dirigibles running around, will make sense. And the materials to make them will become more available because the cost of producing some of the metals that are the lightest ones, like boron nitrite, very, very light, very strong. If you add a little bit of titanium and some other stuff, amazingly tenacious, strong stuff, beyond all imagination, and it's harder than diamonds. Oh, I know, you said, oh, there's nothing harder than diamonds. No, that's not true. You, you can make this stuff like... 11 on the more you know on the more scale you can go way up there or you can go up to like 11 and a half today and i think there's harder to come but it isn't it just it's hardness which is part of its tenaciousness you can make it with the right alloy where like i mentioned the same nitrate you can add some titanium and the results are you can get some some strengths like 10 times steel and then you can wrap it with certain kinds of uh, organics like carbon and with buckyballs, which is a certain kind of carbon, and you can make yourself some, some kinds of structures that are so strong that they'll laugh 10, 20, 30 years from now. The fact when we used to use all this heavy steel and other stuff, it's going to be a joke. It was like it took so much energy to make that stuff. And what did you get? You got something that weighs a ton. And it still isn't all that strong, especially when it gets hot. So what good is it? Especially not good for space travel. Terrific, though, if you use this other stuff for space machines, flying machines, and it's going to be light. <laughs> Literally, boron nitrate is one of the lightest substances. That's a solid. Look it up. It's, it's so light, it's unbelievable. It makes aluminum look like a, like a, Oh, it's so heavy. I mean, that's how light it is. It's lighter than magnesium, which is lighter than magnesium. So actually, this this is an amazing future we have with materials. We can make stuff because we're going to have the energy to do it. And we'll be able to use this energy to create alloys that right now are just too difficult to do because it requires such high pressures and temperatures, and it's not practical. We're not talking about a foundry of four to 
50,000 or 100,000. These things only work together when you make a plasma, and a, what's called a super plasma. Well, we just don't, we can't make that only in a, like a fraction of a square inch. We can't do it for a whole room-sized thing, but you can if you've got if you've got a fusion generator in the next room, you can do anything you want. You've got to make sure you don't burn down the whole building. So the whole building, the whole room has to be made out of this stuff. But I mean, so you can make literally spaceships and, and cars, vehicles, anything you want, because the price will be reasonable. Materials themselves will be even more available because some of them are coming straight, straight back from the moon. But the, but even then, once you go out in outer space, you want other materials. Hey, just head on the other side of uh, Mars. Mars might be only an hour away. <laughs> and you bring back a few uh, large asteroids of the right kind, and uh, you, you have enough material to make anything you want. There's a zillion tons of everything out there running around in its own orbit between Jupiter and Mars. Seriously. So don't worry about having the right materials, we'll have all we want. And mining it on Earth makes no sense when you can just go pick it up. As a matter of fact, there's about a thousand of these asteroids or more running around our neck of the woods. They're just kind of free free floating around. I'd get them first just to get them out of the way. <laughs> Some of them might be valuable, and the ones that aren't, well, what the hell? It won't cost as much to go pick them up because we can almost sell, send robot ships out there just to do that kind of job. Just go... Well, them up, bring them back. Maybe use them someplace else, which we'll talk later in the show about. But the point is that this is this century. I'm not talking past the century. So if someone's born today, they're going to probably see this stuff if I'm not crazy. Right? Of course, I might be. So, you know. All right. <laughs> All right. So this sounds exciting, right? But Again, yeah. the materials we're talking about are very, very strong and tenacious. They're very light. Uh, they will last uh, at super hot temperatures, tremendous pressures. Uh, you can use, you can make submarines out of them that could go to the very bottom of the, you know, thirty-seven thousand feet below the Mariana Trench. They could go anywhere, and they could survive. However. Remember that they will also be used for military purposes, and they'll make submarines and warships and airplanes and spaceships and old rockets and all kinds of stuff out of this, which will bring another notch, to say the least, up on the scale of weapons. And then there's another weapon I didn't bring up in the beginning of the show, and that is that we're going to have weaponized robots that will fight in place of human beings. Now, the good news about that is not too many people will necessarily die. And the, it could be very good if the robots are controlled by human beings, carefully, and with uh, instructions to preserve life under virtually every scenario so that the least amount of life is destroyed of all kinds, not just human life, but all kinds, uh, in any quote-unquote, military operation maneuver. And if you have extreme amounts of power, like you have a little shoebox, HE3 nuclear generator inside of you, and you're made out of these special materials I told you about, well, that kind of creature could uh, could fly at 
10, 20,000 miles an hour could, I mean, we're talking about, you know, like something out of the comic books now, that there wouldn't even be a human being inside. You'd have <laughs> Iron Man, except Iron Robot, flying around. And you could make these things uh, in minutes. You could make hundreds of thousands of millions. So you could have a lot of them. Unfortunately, uh, the good news is if it's done humanely through such a thing, you could have military actions with the least amount of destruction and the most amount of good. But you could have the other side that has all the machinery making these dudes to do the most amount of damage and the most amount of destruction and easily take over any country or any place they want. Something to consider. Remember, if you don't have the AT-3 or some other extreme source of power, these things are useless. They need the power to work. And it has to be in a small enough area to be manageable. Sure, you can make them the size of tanks, or you can make them the size of buildings, but believe it or not, size doesn't help you much. In that kind of situation, you're better off making them like seven, eight feet tall and not much different from a human being. Because that's a very, very useful size for taking over, not just destroying, but taking over countries and people and stuff like that. If you're into doing that sort of stuff, that's what you want to do. And if you're trying to defend yourself, to some extent, that's also true. So, you know, bigger is not necessarily better. I mean, if that were true, then then 50 megaton, 100 megaton hydrogen bombs would be all we need. Now. Nobody's ever really used one of those. I mean, did you know? There's a good reason for it. Unless you like a lot of big holes, that's about all you get with them, and a huge amount of fallout. So it's not all that useful. Sometimes a relatively small package of a lot of power is more than you need, especially if you got a million of them. Okay. So there's a good and a bad for sure. And certainly, within all the technology, we're looking at the next 20 or 30 years, we're going to see military forces like this. We better be prepared. Now, what? how do you defend yourself against that? Well, you better get yourself your own army first. And you better have a lot of AT-3. So it's something to really consider. Or something like it. I don't know. Maybe there's something going to be better than that. But hey, in either case, we better get there first and get most of it because it's going to be bad otherwise. And when I say we, I'm talking about people who at least are somewhat enlightened. I'm not talking about our government. I'm talking about us people. Okay. So, now. <laughs> Ooh, that was a lot. Uh, what are some of the other... So we're going to have these robots and they're going to be taking care of us. They'll be making this breakfast and some of them will be out doing war battles or something. I, I know, it's all coming. and I mean, it boggles our minds because we can't accept the future in some cases like this. It's very hard for us to, to deal with these realities that I'm talking about. I want to, I want to explain some of what, what, where this is coming from. Tonight's show, there's not going to be enough time to go into all the things I want to talk about, so I have to pick and choose where, where we, how I lace together a meaningful expression that makes some sense to people. In the astral world, a lot of these things I've talked about actually exist. 
you go to the third sub sub world, uh, it's governed by the third brain, and it's hundreds of years uh, ahead of us. Now, what does that mean? Well, it just means in our time, it'll take us 100, 200 years to catch up with some of the stuff they got over there. Some of the stuff they have is really quite interesting. I, I think it has some uh, great potential. Uh, you can talk to the animals, literally, and they can communicate back. I think that's cool. I'm waiting for that to come out. I'm going to Petco every day, checking for it. But, you know, the, the thing is that some of the stuff they do there on the third sub, in the third sub world, actually looks like it's increasing consciousness and it makes there's some light being produced. I mean, it's not, not all that horrible. But it's still not considered a spiritual world because they never get beyond 50% of spiritual development on an average. They can get higher than that, but then the power thing comes into play and they do the power trip and the next thing you know, the people that were high, highest in consciousness fall down to the lowest level. And they become the old folks and they're actually pushed out of the main cities and <laughs> they have to live in a lower technology world. Yeah. Okay. But that's what happens. It's sort of like it's almost a cyclic thing. So they've they've got they've got robots there. They've got they've got artificial life forms to do all the stuff that I said, everything. Some of them are used in a kind of military way, but most of them are not. Which is good news for me. And they don't send them over to the old folks, which is good. They to leave them alone. They have rules against that. But they don't let the old folks use them anymore either. <laughs> because they've lost too much sense because they got too involved with the power side and they burned up their senses. Um, and to use these things, you're still you're using your creative imagination. And that literally comes from your astral senses and your astral brain and your thinking through that, all of that. And uh, as those go, so does your ability to use some of this stuff. Now, what else do they got there? Well, they've got all kinds. Of, they actually they can fly just like other people can all around the uh, all around the astral world. People people actually can do some flying, mainly because they can just think and they overcome gravity. But they so don't want to use up their senses. They actually have flying suits. <laughs> So, in other words, you get into a suit, and the suit supplies the power. You you supply a little bit of sense, and the suit magnifies it, and it supplies a lot of the power. And uh, this is coming, too. So that is really getting close to the Iron Man concept, right? I could just see it all now. <laughs> Comic book life here on Earth, you know. Uh, but it isn't just one or two people. I mean, most of the people in the third third sub-world that actually can operate these suits, which are the people who live, that are younger, I call them younger people, with better senses. They may not be actually younger, but they have better senses in either case. They use these flying suits to preserve their senses so they can live longer, get more technology. It looks a little strange. They, the suits are not designed, uh, in my opinion, for the most aesthetic uh, outcome but they are extremely efficient. And uh, you use like a tenth or less of your sense to operate your movement in their time space in comparison. So 90% of your life and your senses are preserved by using these uh, flying suits. 
we will do something similar to that here sometime in this century. It's still it's coming. It absolutely is. The other thing they do is they can directly communicate with each other, as many people can, through thought impression. But they have devices that uh, save the creative imaginative thought and uh, does it much more effectively. Now you could say, well, why don't they just have cell phones? Well, with this system, you don't need to know the number and you don't need to know where the person is or people are that you want to communicate with. You just imagine them. And it goes to them and vice versa, provided they're open to it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. And that's coming. That's coming. I haven't talked about that yet, but that's coming. People get very close. Uh, and I want to talk about this, too, because they get very close in the astral world in some ways, especially what we call emotionally or lovingly, both either of those ways. One the kind of reverse direction of the other. And so they they can get extremely close to each other, even by the fact that they're still thousands of miles maybe apart. It's just like you could be almost right next to the person. You can even see them with some of the devices that you have. They can recreate the person right next to you. And you can even feel their feelings right next to you, magnified to the same level as though they were there. And you can feel their bodies, just like they're there, and they can be thousands of miles away. This is the technologies that they use. We can expect the same thing here in this century. It'll be more complicated and more difficult to achieve here than it was there, because they're there they don't have the problem with the gravity and the quantum constant grown so much allows them to do this with just directing from their thought itself. Here we'd have to magnify things. We're going to have to have greater levels of energy. But hey, if you've got a shoebox with an HT3 generator, there won't be any problem. So you go back to the same power issue. And with that much power, we will be able to have communication with anybody, anywhere, just as, though they, just as if they were in the room with us. It's more than virtual reality because you will actually experience them as a form. Now, the recreation of energy at that level means they will be in two places at the same time. There's a quantum constant problem when you do that. It even happens in the astral world. And in the astral world, the way they deal with it, uh, especially in the third astral subworld where they're so efficient with this, is they're able to match the quantum constant change back and forth so that there is no issue. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that here, but it may be possible to do it. You just have to use a tremendous amount of energy, and you've got to have computers way far more advanced than anything we've got to be able to do the equational math necessary because every time you change the time-space relationship between two objects, and one of the, and, and and both of the objects are in two places at the same time. You're going to have to make some serious uh, physics changes in the environment around you. Could it be done? Yeah. Now this is so far out. I'm not so sure it will be done before the end of the century, but it might certainly be done by the middle of the next. And that's a real hard thing for us to understand. I'm not talking about television or computers. I'm talking about 
people being able to experience each other by tremendous distances that are that are formed if you really have to get to the equational aspect, they will be connected by what would be considered to be almost a wormhole. That's a huge amount of power. Uh, between them, that allows their, um, their, their form to be in two places effectively at the same time, each one being doubled up in the other, and being able to communicate with each other that way. Hard to understand. You also could find a medium place and meet someplace like that. There's a lot of possibilities. It will also be possible to transport yourself instantly from one place to another. Hey, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah it's, that's the other thing coming. They can already do that. Even people in the seventh suburb, the lowest part of the world, can actually do that. It takes a lot for them to do it. They can recreate themselves anywhere they want to go. Now, they are not capable, the seven subworld folks are not capable of being in two places at once like the third subworld folks are. But, but hey, that's still pretty cool that you can go a thousand miles in a few seconds and recreate yourself there, not fly there, although they do fly a bit. But we're talking about oh, instantaneously recreating yourself someplace else. They do it now. That's coming here possibly again by the end of this century, almost certainly into the next. Star Trek, it's for real. It's going to happen. And almost in the time that they had in the show. You know, I mean, we're talking almost the same time frames. Wow. Now, for people who haven't seen the Star Trek, that may, may be kind of meaningless, but a lot of people have. You know, there's, uh, even people who aren't real interested in it, they've, got, they've still seen a movie or two, so they know what I'm talking about. And they certainly have had the opportunity to see a show. I mean, they've had shows, new ones being made right through the 90s. You know, so even if, you're, if, if you weren't familiar with the original shows back in the 60s, those shows are very, they're very current. They're not exactly, I would say, at the point where they are in the, in the immediate now or today, but for what they were, they were amazing. And then if you take the movies, which are of today, they are just like, they're just like at the very tip of what I would consider to be the near future. And probably too far ahead than what's really going to happen. So in other words, I'm saying they may be a bit, a bit slow in what they think is going to actually take place. Okay, what about warp drives and that sort of stuff? Well, yeah, if you get enough of the physics down, especially understanding how the recreation part comes into play, um, in the astral world you have to have already been to where you're going to be able to recreate yourself there. But it is possible that we will uh, be able to do better than warp drive. We will be able to literally move through time space that is dimensionally higher to begin with like move through the mental world. At the highest part of the mental world, you can go a thou- over a thousand uh, light years per year of speed. So you can go to a... Like one year, you could travel over a thousand light years of space time in our time. And you could go 
through the dimension of the of the astral world, and you could at the same of, of the mental world, and you could at the same time recreate yourself back to the physical world. Because I know that's possible. Because that's what beings are doing today, not from our world, but from worlds much more advanced than our world, hundreds if not thousands of years more advanced. And they are able to do that. That's how they get it. And there's even more advanced ways than that. But that's that's enough for now. <laughs> All right. So let's uh there's so much to talk about, it's really interesting. I wanna go back to the question of terraforming. Uh there's going to be in the near future, uh, an urgency, so to speak. And I think I'm going to... <clears throat> my voice is starting to do that thing again. Hold on. <clears throat> Lots of words in a little time. That's what happens to the voice coil. <laughs> the voice vocal cords, I should say. Voice coil. Yeah, that's, that's the speaker. Okay. So what happens to the vocal cords? Though? Same thing. All right. So what happens is... Um, <clears throat> there we go. What happens is that we're looking at a point now where terraforming is going to become important because people are going to want more space. Remember I told you that energy is the single most important thing in technology, but time-space becomes much more important in terms of life. Uh, When we look at the quality of life, technology is not the the end all. It's only the beginning of a step towards, which is the third one, towards consciousness and creativity, and they much more involve uh, time-space issues and uh, finding ways to create the time and space that we want to live in. Space becomes an issue because we are, while we're physically alive, we're stuck in uh, a very dense realm and especially a planet that's very dense. And Earth has two other planets that are connected to it. That's Venus and Mars. A lot of people know these days that Venus is uh, uninhabitable, but it's the closest planet to us. And Mars uh, is slightly habitable, but it's not a place where you probably want to go and have a colony. And it's uh, much further away than Venus. Matter of fact, Mars is as far away from us sometimes as the Sun itself is. So, it, but in a different direction, of course, the opposite, because Mars is further from the Sun. But what I'm going to suggest that might happen is the following: first of all, um, once you get uh, spaceships that are running almost with infinite power, which is going to happen fairly soon. Uh, the idea of terraforming becomes much more realistic. Well, what is terraforming? It's making places habitable, such as the moon, uh, in ways that changes not buildings or uh, spaceships and things that we might live in, but changes the world itself. And in this case, let's take the moon, for example. You can make the moon uh, more hospitable by bringing uh, comets and uh, other bodies of frozen water to it and having lakes and other places. I mean, there's natural lake formations all over the place because there's all these <laughs> craters. Craters are nothing more than a giant 
giant lake, right, waiting for water. And there's some water, but not much, on the moon, uh, particularly in the South Pole. Uh, there seems to be uh, enough water to probably keep some small colonies together, which has been found so far. But it's not enough water to really do the trick if you're going to truly make that place more habitable. So uh, certainly taking maybe 100 or 200 craters and filling them with water would be a good thing, except it won't work if it doesn't have an atmosphere because the moon goes from like minus 200 degrees to plus 300 degrees or hotter. And, it can, you know, I mean, that's like crazy. You're, you know, you're not going to be able to sustain anything on that surface that other than the dust that's all over the place and rocks. So how you do sustain it, you have to build up an atmosphere. And building up an atmosphere, you have to maintain artificially because the moon doesn't have enough gravity to keep an atmosphere for more than a few thousand years. So uh, you have to keep replenishing it, but in a very small amount. And the, you might want to make it even thicker than Earth's atmosphere, even though you would, it would diminish faster. But making it thicker, the advantage would be that uh, it would tend to burn up meteors fast. And you want that. So, but you can't go too thick because atmosphere has a pressure, and the pressure can be dangerous for human beings. You don't want to go much more than uh, a couple hundred feet below sea level. But it does tend to mitigate the cold of the moon, and it will block out some of the heat of the moon if you make the atmosphere the right consistency. And uh, you probably want, definitely want some oxygen in here. Nitrogen is a very neutral gas, and it work good. But you might even add some other noble gases, uh, strangely, to the atmosphere, but you'd have to keep replenishing them because some of them are very light. Although some others, like argon, is not that light, and it might work just fine. What do the noble gases do? Well, they're not reactive as much, and they can buffer some effects from the heat and cold and also from having a greater atmosphere. There's certain things you can do. You can make a whole chemistry of everything. And the, the, the interesting part of this equation is that once you get an atmosphere, you can put in water, you can have clouds, you can, have, you can even have rain. I mean, all kinds of stuff could happen. And you won't have as much gravity, so the fun part about it is, or at least a visit anyway, is you can go running around the moon and you're a third the weight. Roy, I'm sorry, you're a sixth the weight. And so you're running around and it's so much easier to go anywhere you want to go. The only thing is that uh, people might find that a little disturbing and over time your bones weaken and your muscles atrophy. But again, I mean, you can adjust for that. You can carry weights on yourself, make yourself artificially heavier. And that would balance it out. You know, a suit made out of lead or something, heavy suit would be kind of interesting. But, I mean, so there, there are all kinds of technological differences. And then you can also create artificial gravity. Now, how do you do that? Well, if you have enough of a, a field of energy, uh, right now we don't understand the exact way to, to convert electromagnetic energy into gravity. But there is an equation for it. We just have to learn how to use it properly. And uh, strangely, gravity is the weakest of the forces, but you have to do certain things, and that gets into understanding metaphysics. And once we understand metaphysics more, we'll actually be able to make artificial gravity fields. And 
we'll be able to accelerate and decelerate and shift without killing ourselves because we'll be able to control that with artificial gravity. But that's going to require much more metaphysical understanding than just the present physics. You can't do it in the present physics. You have to use metaphysics to understand what gravity really is, which is the thought of certain kinds of energy collectively. And if you change that thought in certain ways without causing harm to the energy or to yourselves, you could then create your own negative or positive fields of, energy, of gravity, matching things like acceleration and deceleration and also places like the moon where it is not advantageous to be so light. <laughs> There's not enough gravity to keep a lot of things, we'll say, going the wrong way for you. So you want maybe want more gravity, even though you're not looking at such a big, big body. This is going to come. I think, again, this part will be here within the 21st century. But, uh, and a lot of this stuff can be used for very sinister things. You could use, if you understand how, how to control fields of gravity, the good news is that's terrific, but the bad news is it could be used as an awful weapon. And terrible things can be done with it that would not be friendly for virtually anybody. Still having that voice thing going on here. So, <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, if if we do look at it from that particular standpoint, then the moon is only an experimental, probably, habitat for something much bigger. Venus is an interesting world. It is virtually the same size as Earth. It has almost the same gravity as Earth, but its atmosphere is so dense you'd be crushed before you even got to the surface. And uh, the temperature on Venus is an interesting 800 to 1,000 degrees, depending upon what, where you are and what you're doing. So um, that's Fahrenheit. Talk about hot. The reason it's so hot is it's closer to the sun, and it has this unbelievably thick atmosphere filled with all kinds of noxious fumes of acids and uh, a huge amount of carbon dioxide. Well, the easiest thing to change in all the world is the atmosphere. So just as we did on the moon, we added atmosphere. Now we could subtract some of the atmosphere. We might use some of that atmosphere someplace else, like Mars. Mars is pretty far, though, to do terraforming with Venus at the same time. So my suggestion is we move Venus a little closer to Earth and Mars a lot closer to Earth. And that sounds crazy. But you'd move the metal world to the two planets much closer to each other. And it would make life uh, capable to be living in all three worlds if you do it correctly. Mars would just become a seed for a bigger planet, about the size of Venus. And they would be very close to each other, but not close enough to <laughs> create a gravitational attraction that would destroy them. Uh, you'd have to still be 10, 20 million miles away from each other. Uh, but if you also add to them uh, a magnetic field, and as you are building up the planets, you can do that. Mars is an example. Well, let's go back to Venus. So Venus is an example. You get rid of the atmosphere, some of it. You use it on Mars, which you have to have been brought closer so that you don't have to drag it back. And um, you balance, rebalance the atmosphere to be approximately that of Earth. While you're doing that, you bring tons of water, because Venus is slightly lighter, very small now, than Earth, and if you added a surface with water on it, a lot, a lot of water, it would cool down the planet, uh, it would boil a lot from the 
beginning, but you would cool it down to the point where it wouldn't just be water vapor in the atmosphere, which is very bad. By the way. And once you cool it down, you could I, at the same time I put in a few moons, maybe three around moons, that would make it cooler because it would still be the closest planet to the sun of the three, and you'd want to cool it down more. And uh, you may even create an artificial, uh, we'll say, field or possibly some kind of other thing that blocks some of the sun's solar gain for a number of years to cool down the planet so that it could get to be a nice, hospitable, normal planet. Even after you take away some of the atmosphere, it won't cool down that fast. Even if you add water, it won't cool down that fast. But if you block out the sun, ah, now you've got a way to do it. And there's several ways to do that. If you have enough power, you can do almost anything. It's amazing. You can even bend the light of the sun around the planet so it doesn't actually heat up the planet. That sounds hard to believe. And all of this is possible, but not likely. Uh, all of it's possible within the century to do. So if it's possible, I'm including it in one of our projects. Okay, so terraforming. Now, this is a huge amount of terraforming. How do you change where the planet's going to be? Because we're talking about moving across the Earth by 10 or more million miles, and it's going to be almost in sync with Earth's orbit. Well, you can change a planet's rotational speed. You can change its orbit if you have enough power. That just takes power. And if you're careful about it, and you do it incrementally, and you have all of the equations necessary so that you don't know, you don't have an accident, something goes bad. There's got to be, you know, the, the, you've got to have not only power, you've got to have the right intelligence to make this sort of thing work. It's so difficult to do. I would say that only if we're enlightened could we manage to do it without destroying ourselves and the planet. So it would be, it would probably be possible to do with enough enlightenment in the people doing it. And the advantages are vast because you end up with a whole New world, just like Earth, on Venus. And maybe in a few decades rather than a few million years. It's hard for us to grasp this because we are, when we think about terraforming, we think about the natural processes that have taken tens of millions, hundreds of millions of years. And yet here we're talking about doing this in 10, 20, 30 years. How is it that we could do that? Because we're, we're, using great power with hopefully great intelligence. Now, some people are going to cringe with this and say, well, this is God's stuff. We shouldn't be messing with it. If we're here to do this, honestly, we're, we're here to use the lower kingdoms. We're still using them. And if we use them to enlighten, then it's not a terrible thing. Now, if you have a whole other planet, then that planet can have people living on it. And they could be going back and forth to Earth in a matter of minutes, not hours even especially days. And with the three planets together, Mars, of course, would have to be built up by bringing in large asteroids and other things and converting, as you move some of its rotational energy and other things in different ways, converting some of that into heat because you want to heat up Mars. Quite the opposite of Venus. You want to heat it up. You want to get a, a core in the planet of metals large enough and hot enough so it is alive again. And you would literally restore it virtually to the condition of uh, uh, Earth. And it would be an Earth-like planet if we did it. Some of the atmosphere.
some of it would go from Venus to Mars, additional amounts of oxygen and some other things wouldn't be needed, and it wouldn't be that hard to get it. There's huge amounts of water in all kinds of places, on moons and places. We can use some of that. We can use it's available in, in some of the areas of where there's solid uh, rocks and things. Between Jupiter and Mars right now, there's uh, actually tons of water, zillion tons of water in there. And so you could take some of that, and that would be a great source for oxygen and water. Yeah, oxygen. You split it apart, then you'd have hydrogen. And send some of those hydrogen materials you would join with carbon, and you would have lots of vast amounts of hydrocarbons on the planet as well. All of this is possible because terraforming is really nothing more than a laboratory experiment going completely crazy and gigantic. <laughs> but it's still something like that. It really, it'll, it is possible, and it's possible we'll be doing some of this, mostly on the moon, the planet's iffy that we could get that done in this century. But a century, a two centuries, three centuries from now, I would definitely think that's all possible. And I, I, I think that we will have the technology to do it. The question is, will we use the same technology to destroy ourselves, which is kind of frightening to consider? Because you see what happens is, every step of the way, we have a choice. Do we want to use this technology to create more light in our system, our solar system? Or do we want to, and eventually onward and outward, but, or do we want to use it to imprison people, to destroy life, to control? Those that want to do that are on the dark side, and most of the ones, severe ones are evil. So, and we've got a bunch of them on this world. I mean, in this world right now. And most of the technology I'm talking about is available to the dark side, and some of it is going to be exclusively controlled if we don't do something about it very soon by the dark side. And this is a frightening thing. The things I'm saying are going to happen one way or another. I don't think we're going to go into oblivion and there's going to, we're all going to be running around the loincloths. I think one way or another this is coming we either go down the path of light or the path of darkness. If we go down the path of darkness, the same technologies will be there. But they will destroy us. The technologies of people communicating and being able to read each other's minds and the kind of very close relationships that could happen could be terrifying. Ways of controlling other people, knowing all their thoughts, and knowing there'll be not only no privacy, there'll be complete controlling everything of people's thoughts, then we become slaves. Because the ultimate goal of evil is to enslave. It is its goal. It's like that's the that's the golden thing to reach is enslavement. Enslave more, you get more power from those you enslave. And evil ultimately works off of the power of of organic life and especially human life. Not all of this technology. Evil just uses that as a stepping stone, especially here in the physical world. Slight amounts of it are used in the lower astral world, but not enough to even concern ourselves. I'm not even going to talk about those tonight because we don't have enough time, but they are not really that relevant because 
the dark side just jumps right over that stuff. It doesn't care about the technology. It just wants power. If it can get the power without the technology, that's even better. Here we need to use the technology because density of matter forces us to. But when the quantum constant grows to such a high level, in the astro, like in the astral world, people's creative imagination can do all that's needed without having most of the technology. Do they make things out of astral energy? And is the technology useful? Yes, of course. And then in the third astral subworld, I told you about some of the most amazing things. But it's unnecessary. Here it is. There it is. There it's optional. Here it's absolutely necessary. So the darkness, the dark side of things, is the frightening part of technology. We are a third-rate planet, which makes it easiest for the dark side to take it over because they use the technology of human beings to imprison. It's always been that and now we're entering a new era where this stuff is beyond science fiction and it could become terrorizing. The good news is if it really goes that way, we've only got 100 or 200 years left. And the planet will destroy, will destroy the planet. And, it'll be it. and I know that sounds terrible to say that's good news, but it's not the worst thing that could happen. Because the worst thing that can happen is we don't destroy this planet, we become evil, and then we start trying to destroy other planets. But built into the system, because it's such a risky experiment, which you may know from other shows that I've described, uh, built into the system, which seems to be impossible to change, is if the world, if this world starts going very dark, it is doomed. And it will quickly destroy itself unless there's intervention to start it, restart it. That has happened one time before, but my understanding is it will never happen again. So, uh, I guess we got our, our one reprieve. It was between the Atlantean and the present modern day period. And uh, we used it, used up our one card. You know, we got it and we used it. And now the next time, it's just curtains. Bye-bye. And it will happen because of the very technology that I'm talking about today. The weird thing about it is that that's the thing that eventually they use to enslave the planet is what destroys everything. It destroys evil on the planet itself, but it also destroys everything else, and it'll be as if almost as though Earth had never existed. It frightens Okay, so I want to talk about some remedies that I can think of, and uh, because I don't want to leave us hanging with, <laughs> oh my God! All right, so um, the first remedy—I I mentioned this earlier, but I, you may not have caught it. The first remedy for dealing with runaway technology is to increase consciousness faster than the rate of growth of technology. The, there's a formula for it, actually. Uh, it's a secret formula, and I'm not allowed to actually give it out. But there is a formula that works, and that formula has to do using both education and communication in some ways, which is a third grade issue, together, uh, that uh, leads to increased creativity and 
wanting, but most importantly, in freedom. So you don't need to use as much power to attain greater freedom because you're doing it in a way which is both more intelligent and at the same time, even more so, greater in consciousness. And so this particular formula allows for uh, a planet even at the stage we're at, which is scary because I'm suggesting that the Chinese are very close to getting HE3, which is kind of a scary scenario. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's going to take them somewhere between five and ten years to, to realize their goals in this plan. Even though they may be there in two, they're not going to get it all done in that time. And we could simultaneously, while they're doing that, try to do some of it ourselves. I don't know that we will. And besides that, which I don't think we will catch up to them, we could do the following. We could increase our consciousness by understanding stuff that I teach, angels' wisdom. It doesn't have to be the exact way I teach it. it doesn't have to be all the things that I say. But it, it would allow people to start leapfrogging, so to speak, jump over, some of the obstacles that presently are preventing people from seeing evil and understanding Very big part of the question. And because just imagine if everybody tomorrow morning woke up and said, I don't know, I think I heard some guy in my sleep who was talking about some kind of uh, future technology thing, and it just uh, came to me, and I think the Chinese are about to take over, so I'm going to go out and vote for the people who are going to get NASA going and private industry going, get to the moon next year to do something about this business. And even if we don't get there before the Chinese do, we'll be more efficient, be more effective. We'll get the HE3 going and we'll share it with everybody. So they can't possibly beat out the world because they're they're not going to control the source. And we'll do other things faster. We'll terraform the moon long before the Chinese can do anything about it. And all kinds of other stuff can happen. Plus, we can also get some ideas straight in ourselves about darkness. We'll be able to see that the present administration is evil, but they're doing evil things. We'll stop. If we stop that right now, boom, things change fast. Okay, maybe that's a little magical and believing too much that that could happen, but I'm giving you, I'm just saying maybe that takes a year or two or three or more, but maybe it could happen. Certainly doesn't look like it is happening, but I'm just saying it could happen. Hey, give, you know, all I'm saying is not give peace a chance, but maybe give 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 wisdom a chance, give give life a chance. All right. So in this process, what happens is if you can elevate the consciousness of people by a very fractional percentage amount, uh, it offsets a huge amount. Power. Now, I can't give you the exact numbers because, again, this is a formula that I'm not allowed to reveal. But I'll give you some idea, some example. If we increase the consciousness of the planet, or us, the United States and certainly other leading countries, by a half of a percent, consciousness one half percent, boop, you know, <clears throat> I, have to be, <coughs> I have to be careful about squeaking my voice. That's not a good thing. <clears throat> One more squirt of that thing. Give it a shot. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> All right. I, got it. I think I got it. Uh, okay. If we can increase consciousness 
by a half of a percent. And uh, we do so with some level of enlightened knowledge only, not knowledge. Don't think about knowledge. Oh, just tell them. No. Enlightened knowledge is knowledge that has wisdom in it that's used for the betterment of others. Then, okay, that half percent, will offset approximately a 50% increase in power from the dark side. 50% approximately. But I'm not telling you how that works <laughs> because that is the formula. But if you could do something like that, just in that general area, the results are dramatic in terms of turning around the problem. So if you think about what I'm saying, a very fractional amount of increase in consciousness has a huge offset to all this huge amount of power. That is the scary part of the technology part. And if you're talking about, let's say, 5% increase in consciousness, there's no amount of power that's going to be, that, that that will ever within within ten years that anyone's going to be able to do, to use effectively. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, you told us about a terawatt of power, isn't that all? Well, that's about having power, but it's not about being able to use it effectively. Evil is not great at using power effectively. They're great at having power to use and. It will take them 50 years, maybe, to use it as effectively as, as, as it needs to be. But the consciousness is so vastly greater, percentage-wise, it, it will offset us the, the advantages the power has. And really it has to do with freedom. Now, the freedom, remember I said with the, with the other part of the question, the best way to measure how this equation is working is to see how free people are. As people lose freedom, you can bet everything that the power is going up and consciousness is going down. One or other of all. If freedom is increased, the vice versa happens. And here's the interesting thing about it. If freedom triples at the rate at which Consciousness increases in ratio to power. And be careful, I'm talking close to that formula. So think about how that works. So it, now you get tremendous amounts more freedom by increasing consciousness. And even though others are increasing power, they lose the ability to enslave. And more and more of the power will be used to fight slavery rather than to increase it in that formula as I'm proposing. Okay? <clears throat> it doesn't sound too bad to me. And it is still possible. The, the scary part about it is I'm going to be here to see the results, baby. And in a lot of ways, I, I wish I was. But in, um, in some ways, I wish I, I hope I can make a difference. But regardless, um, it's going to take more than me, for sure. And all of you listening out there, and many others, uh, we're trying to get to, to help in solving this problem. Because there are some real, real serious threats.
So I'm coming from the technology side, the third ray side. By the way, the personality ray of China is third ray, which means its selfish side is about technology. It's very technology-focused. That's where its main focus is. And so it has a, a, a huge ambition. And that ambition is why it's going to the moon. It's not to be like the United States. We are going to the moon because we want to be the first moon. It doesn't care about that. I mean, that would be a very secondary, third, fourth, fifth reason for going. Main reason? What? Okay, so we do have, we've, we've got a shot at this. And we've got a chance to make make it a better world, but we need to do it through a changing education. And that's why I tell everybody: don't send your kids to any of these progressive uh, public schools. Just stay out of that. If you've got a great public school that is, you know, really open-minded and you've got good teachers, fine. But if your public school is, you know, anti-God, anti. Freedom anti everything that makes sense, and if it, they're walking around talking about how great it is about communism, <laughs> uh, get the heck out of that, because your kids today are the people of tomorrow that have to do this very thing that I'm talking about doing, and even more so, the young people entering higher education today are much closer to the reality of the near future. And they are really, it's really important not to send your kids to some liberal arts college run by uh, card-carrying members of the Communist Party and uh, a few other radical groups. Plus, they teach nothing other than what would be considered both social and political uh, progressive. If that's where your kid's going to school or planning on going to school, do everything in your power to stop it, including turning off the money, if that's where it's coming from, is you. Do everything to prevent it, because that's the last source. Though that generation is going to be our last hope. It's them. Someone approaching 20 years old today is it. And if we lose that generation, it, the next generation coming up won't have time to prevent the debacle, the loss of freedom in, into slavery that can come very quickly from these technologies that I've covered in tonight's show. I did not go over a whole slew of others that I didn't have time to. Fascinating ones, things I'm really interested in, find fun, but we just don't have time. So we've, what we need to do, what we need to be doing is really working like crazy to... Even a half percent in consciousness is a huge amount, by the way. It's like 25% really increased because most people are only about 2% spiritually conscious. Personally, most people are between 10 and 15% conscious. So but that's an average. And there's lots of people in the 20, 25% personal consciousness. Well. But in terms of spiritual consciousness, anything over about 6, 8% is considered quite high. Quite high. What is spiritual consciousness? Consciousness of God. Consciousness of right and wrong. Consciousness of virtue, of light. Unfortunately, the ability to see 
evil is beyond 10% of spiritual consciousness. So we've got a ways to go just to see evil and not elect another Obama or maybe it will be an Obama or it will be Michelle Obama. That's still a danger. I, you know, we need to look at from the standpoint that this area of our existence is the most treasured, the most important. Not technology, not knowledge. Knowledge uh, can be good or bad, and a lot of it is bad. This is technology. Knowledge and technologies are the same thing. Now, technology is a is a densified form of knowledge. So be aware of that. Knowledge is the application. It's called applied form. That's what you call knowledge. And applied form in the dense world is technology. In the physical world, is real. So that's that's why it's, there's a, it's like two sides of the same coin. So we need we need to make technology that is enlightened, meaning knowledge that is wise and and loving. That, that shows that we're giving helping to give to all of life, not just human life. Loving includes all of the life below ours, even down to the middle kingdom, which is pre-life. It's really not life. And so we need to be really concerned about making sure that part of existence is fostered in everybody as much as possible. Talk to your neighbors and friends. Don't keep this stuff hidden. Have them listen to these shows. Read some of the stuff that I've written and other people. Make sure that you're not just sitting around waiting for doing gloom, but doing something, the highest and best use of yourself, and do it now, because I'm telling you, the time is growing very short. Things keep accelerating every day, especially in the area of technology. I want to finish with the last issue about this subject that I can bring in tonight with any time left. And that's the third ray has gone out or is going out. Now, a lot of people say, well, that slow down technology. No, it slows down the development of enlightened technology. It does not slow down technology. Why does it slow down enlightened technology? Because too many people proportionately, are selfish in comparison to, to, to those that are not. So, what you're doing is that you're saying, well, okay, we've got too many people being selfish, let's not have them grow in their ability to use that selfishness as much. And you would think in the beginning, well, that's a good thing, right? Isn't that the long, is that the plan? It is the plan, but it's a long-term plan for 20 years from now. Right now, what it's doing is it's causing people to become more selfish, not less, because their their senses are causing them to make more mistakes, so they're more willing to go to the dark side, the selfish side, to maintain their physical physicality, their money, their control, their power, as much as possible. So you have like a backlash to the intent of the of what the ray change is supposed to mean, because rays are, are are spiritual; they take decades, centuries to take full effect in the immediate effect when it peaked at the end of 2012. The third ray was 
enormously effective in, in growing civilization, but now people are reacting against their inability to keep their chakra, the chakra sense, which is the throat chakra in each of their bodies, working as well. They are not communicating as accurately. They aren't able to create technology as well. That works without having some problem to it. And the most difficult thing is they can't maintain their level of wealth and then they cheat or find some way around the problem, which is always towards the dark side because you just they lie, they cheat to find some way to get more money for uh, less effort. Something for nothing is the game. And this is our biggest problem, something for nothing game. And they convince other people to give them more power because they tell the other people they should be getting something for nothing as well. They use that con game on them. And then they take the power to enslave them. And that's how the system is moving at this time. Granted, given enough decades, it will correct itself because those people continue to lose, lose their sense, the throat chakra sense, but not until after about 2020 to 2025. You see, right now, we're in this tenaciously zero period where everybody wants to hold on to what they got and get more, and that's a horrible place to be while they're making more and more mistakes, of course, and unable to see evil, of course, which is another big deal. And so, this is about the most dangerous it can get. It doesn't get more dangerous. And I said it's going to be between 2000, I mean, between 2017 and 2019 that we're going to have the worst part of this whole thing. That's when the Chinese are going to be on the moon. You know, having a party. And starting to mine its And then starting to work on their reactors. It won't take them long, believe me. They know how to do it. It's just a matter of getting enough stuff. In a couple of years, they'll have them. I'm telling you. I remember the show. I remember what I'm saying. Boy, do I hope I'm wrong. Let's all pray that this is my... my this is the one thing I said that didn't come true. I predicted all the other things, or most of the other things that have happened you know, from decades ago. But now let's just hope this one, I just missed something. And sure enough, this stuff just isn't going to happen the way I said. And the light's going to come in, and everybody's going to, you know, i first in line to be wrong. <laughs> Scott, I want to be wrong. Because the world that I see that can come out of this is so terrible. Enslavement, this, the name is terrible, but the actual world of enslavement has been the hallmark of this planet. The majority of evil has, has represented itself through humans enslaving other humans. And that's the thing that most people don't understand unless they are enslaved. And there's a lot of people even today that are. But that's been the bane of this planet. And let's hope we don't see it. Let's hope I'm wrong about it. And let's hope even if I am right about it, that we still use this 
maybe last opportunity to pull it, pull it out, to make make it right. So let's start working on that and do that. And I'm running out of time. Yeah. Okay, there are many, many other areas that I didn't cover tonight. And uh, just so you know, we could do a whole other show on the remaining or technologies, probably two or three shows, because they're really interesting. I find this whole area fascinating, possibly because I enjoy science fiction, but it isn't fiction so much to me. It's just learning about what's going to be coming. And uh, we will plan sometime in the future, we'll have another show dealing with some of the other areas that I didn't cover tonight. Well, we're we're out of time. And I hope tonight's show has been an eye-opener as well as uh, interesting. And until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Wildlife Hill.